Amen. This morning we are beginning a new series on, uh, on the Holy Spirit that will take us uh, down into the Advent season. Yes, Christmas is next week. Uh, it's right around the corner, <clears throat> here before you know it. Uh, <clears throat> we're going to spend a few, a number of weeks uh, turning our hearts and our minds to thinking about the person and work of the Holy Spirit in the life of God's people, in the life of the church. We're going to start in John chapter 16, uh, where Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples. He is preparing uh, for his own departure, preparing them for his departure. And he is imparting to them and teaching them things that they need to understand uh, for his absence when he is gone. And much of what he has to say is about the coming and the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, who will come and so you will not leave them as orphans, but will be present with them in and through the Spirit. There is much to know and understand, and so we begin this morning hearing God's Word in John 16, and we're going to read verses 12 through 15. Jesus says that I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak on His own authority. But whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take what is Mine, and He will declare it to you. All that the Father has is Mine, and therefore I said that He will take what is Mine, and He will declare it to you. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word that is living and true. We thank you for the privilege of gatherings of people united by the Spirit into one body, one family in Christ. We thank you for the presence and power of the Holy Spirit who opens hearts and minds, who softens our hearts, gentles us like Jesus, changes us to be like him, and speaks the word of truth with power. Come, Holy Spirit, and speak the word of truth with power into the hearts and minds of your people. For we ask and pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you. Verse 12, it, uh, he is leaving, and he says, I have a lot more that I want to tell you, a lot more that you need to understand, a lot more that needs to be communicated for you to fully understand what's going on. There's so much more the apostles needed to understand about what he was about to do on the cross, but he says, you cannot bear it now. There are things I want to say to you, but you cannot bear it right now, and Part of the reason they couldn't bear it right now is that it might all get lost in the shuffle. Whatever he's about to say to them in the upper room, they're going to leave this room and go to the garden. He's going to be betrayed. He's going to be arrested. He's going to be tried. He's going to be tortured. He's going to be executed. He's going to die. And they're going to be confused and in a world of hurt. And he says, I could try to start explaining it to you all right now, he says, but you can't bear it right now. Now is not the time. And the second thing is that whatever he tries to explain to them about the cross, they're not going to fully understand until after the resurrection. And so there's a certain amount that they're not going to fully get until the Holy Spirit comes and fully opens up the meaning and the power and brings into their lives the meaning and the power of the resurrection. And so he says, you can't bear it right now. Now is not the time. But the Holy Spirit is going to come when the Spirit of truth comes. 
In John 14, 26, just a couple of chapters before this, in the same upper room conversation that he's having with his disciples, he says that the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. And he's going to bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. So a good part of his work, they've been walking around with him for three years. And he's been teaching them things and, 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 and imparting to them the things that he wants them to know and to understand. But as years go by, I don't know if you're anything like me, I'm trying to remember what happened yesterday. Right? And my wife said, well, what did he say? And I'm like, oh, um, the gist of it is this. <laughs> you know, like, I, I can't, you know, but how you know, do these guys, they fully understand in terms of what Jesus had been imparting to them. He says part of the work of the Holy Spirit in the apostles as they write the New Testament, as they gather these things for us, the work of the Holy Spirit is he's going to bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you, and he's going to teach you all things about it. He's going to open it up to you so that you will understand and be able in the rest of the New Testament to apply and open up the meaning of the cross and the resurrection. He's going to remind them of all that he has said and guide them into all truth and glorify Jesus, he says in the later verses down in 14. He will glorify me. He's going to take what is mine. He's going to declare it to you, apostles, so that you will understand. And he's talking at some level here about the writing of the New Testament. He's telling the apostles, I'm going to go away. But the Holy Spirit is going to come and he's going to remind you and he's going to teach you and he's going to guide you. So as the New Testament, which is unpacking, interpreting the historical events surrounding his life and his death and his resurrection. And so he has provided for the writing of the New Testament, both by 12 apostles who he called to be with him and appointed as the 12 who walked with him, knew him, slept with him, uh, and, and spent all their time with him day and night and who he imparted to them the truth. He said so that they would be with him. So these 12 are part of the provision for the New Testament. And so the pouring out of the Spirit in his promise here, he has created for us and provided for us the New Testament. But more than that, Sending the Holy Spirit provides for and creates the New Testament in the, lives of the, in the life of the apostles, but it creates not just the New Testament, but the New Testament church. In fact, the Holy Spirit creates and does pretty much everything Christian once Jesus leaves, once he departs. Everything that is Christian and everything that is alive and well in the life of the church is through the Holy Spirit. Unfortunately, there's a lot of confusion about the Holy Spirit and his work. There are some branches of the church that are hyper-focused on the Holy Spirit and other branches of the church that have virtually forgotten him. Or at least he is a, he is a line in the creed that they believe, but in terms of his presence and his power and, and understanding and, and reliance upon the Holy Spirit is, is almost nil. So you have those who are hyper-focused and those who have almost forgotten um, and, and I don't know if you don't know, and I don't know that I should tell you, that uh, both of your pastors were, uh, were, came to Christ in the Pentecostal church. You know, so they're preaching the gospel, and they're, you know, that's one of those branches that I would say in, in many ways is hyper-focused on the person of the Spirit. But often in the branch that we are in now is often the branch that forgets that there is a Holy Spirit and what that means. Steve Brown, who's a 
professor at RTS, Reformed theologian, says there is a woeful lack of knowledge in the church about the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And the lack of knowledge has created a terrible period of powerlessness among the people of God. Because the life and the power of the church is what flows to us from the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit with us. And so ignorance of the Holy Spirit, of his person and his work, makes us weak. A.W. Pink, another Reformed theologian of the British ilk, says that ignorance of the third person of the Godhead is the most dishonoring to him. Ignorance of him is dishonoring to him, but it's also highly injurious to ourselves and to the church. It dishonors him and it weakens us. Samuel Chadwick says the gift of the Spirit is the crowning mercy of God in Christ Jesus. It was for this all the rest was. The incarnation and crucifixion, the resurrection and the ascension, they were all preparatory to Pentecost. Without the gift of the Holy Spirit, all of the rest would be useless. Just sit on that for a moment. That all the rest would be useless, he says. The great thing in Christianity is the gift of the Spirit, the essential, vital, central element in the life of the soul and the work of the church is the person of the Spirit. Now, whether you would want to wrestle with him over the place that he, that, he, that he is placing the gift of the Spirit uh, over against all those other things. He is saying it is a crowning. What he is trying to say, if you don't get anything else from him, he's saying all that the Father planned from eternity and all that the Son accomplished and achieved and did in his life and death and resurrection. And what he is saying, all of that, he is saying, is brought home into the life and the experience of the believer in the church by the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. And had not the Holy Spirit, in a sense, continued and and finished and applied the plan and the work of God in Christ, there would be no Christianity. There would be no Christians. So he says in verse 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he's going to guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority. When the spirit of truth comes. And so we first want to just notice that the word spirit, the way he is referred to in New Testament and Old. In the Old Testament, that word is in the Hebrew, ruach. In the New Testament is pneuma or pneuma, depending on whether you pronounce the P. Uh, So the ruach or the pneuma, which in in the Hebrew and the Greek both have the same meaning. It means wind or breath. right? And so it's used in that way. Uh, regularly in regular speech, but also then when we start talking about the ruach of God or the pneuma of God, the wind or the breath of God, we're talking about the Holy Spirit. And so this breath or wind, literally, so in John chapter 3, when Jesus, in that classic passage on regeneration, that unless a man is born again, he compares the Holy Spirit to the wind. And he says the wind blows where it wills. Right? It's this invisible power that blows where it wills that is sovereign. It's his sovereign and visible power. And that is part of what is in, implied in that image as he's called the wind of, this, of God, the holy wind of God. 
to an invisible power we see his effects and you only have to think of Hurricane Michael to think even what's in the mind of folks as they use this image of God's power, the wind of God. You know, the hurricane that blows in is this invisible power that has the ability to move mountains of water and to blow over buildings. You can't see it except that rain is in it or whatever. It's this invisible power that accomplishes mighty things. And we see its effect even though we can't see it. We see what it moves. We see what it touches. It is power in action. We're tempted to think because of some of these images and the way that it's used in the Bible, we're tempted to think sometimes of the Holy Spirit then in terms of, uh, or in personal terms. You often hear people call the Holy Spirit it. Or compare him to electricity. You know, you just got to, you just got to plug in and, you know, and the power is yours. Or like, so you start thinking the force, you know, if you're Star Wars nerds like me. In some ways, you know, you, you might think of the force, you know, who is it, this power that binds all things together. And if I can just tap into it, I can use it to do things. We don't use the Holy Spirit to do anything. What's wrong with this idea, this impersonal thing is that we think and interact with people differently than we think and interact with inanimate objects, right? We use inanimate things, but people using them is a bad thing, you know, in that respect. We don't use, you know, when, when we think about the Holy Spirit, it makes all the difference in the world whether he is an it or a he. And it changes the way you think about and relate to the Holy Spirit. And I want to make one of the things, the main thing clear this morning as you go, if you didn't already know, is he is a he. He is a person, a divine personality, the third person of the Trinity, a person like the Father and the Son. Like Jesus was called the Word of God, but being called the Word didn't, we still know he was a person, but the Word gives us an insight into who he is as the image of God. You know, when we call him the Word, we don't mean that he's inanimate. And as we call the wind of the Spirit, even though he is called that, we get some understanding of God's power in action, but he is a person. Charles Hodge says he is the power of God, the person through whom the efficiency of God is directly exercised, but he is the person of the Trinity. And his personality is communicated in a number of ways, and most of them are in this passage, but you will find them in passages about the Holy Spirit throughout the entire New Testament. So as you read it, you can start to have your sort of you know, antennae up looking for the ways that the Holy Spirit is, is communicated to us. And one is, it, uh, uh, is the personal masculine pronouns that are used. In, in the Greek, the word spirit is a neuter word. Uh, in some of these languages, different words have uh, gender. Some of them are masculine. Some of them are feminine. Sophia is a feminine noun in the Hebrew. And, but spirit is neuter. And so the proper pronoun for spirit is it. The, the wind. We're talking about the wind blew and it knocked over my hat. It, right? But, it, but knowing that, John, writing about the spirit of truth, we notice that he that he breaks the rules of grammar and he uses the masculine personal pronoun. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you for he will not speak on his own, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you and he will glorify me for he will take what is mine. He, 
the personal third person of the Trinity. And the things he's going to do, they're personal things, things that inanimate objects can't do. He's going to, in verse 13, he's going to guide you. He's going to speak and he's going to declare to you. Right? He is going to do very personal things. He's not only going to speak and declare, he's going to take and declare and to communicate divine things to you. The things that belong to Christ and to the Father. He is the spirit of truth. And so we see that he also is going to glorify the Son. We see his personality in his ministry. His ministry is to glorify the Lord Jesus. And anyone who is short of a divine person is not going to in any way adequately be able to glorify the Lord Jesus by taking all that is his and his glorious divine purpose and work and somehow, you know, manifest and declare and make it known to us in any way that is real. Unless he too shares in these things and we see it. We notice the Trinitarian language, right, in verses 14 and 15. He says that he is going to glorify me, the Holy Spirit. He's going to take what is mine, he's going to declare it to you. And so we've got this thing that the Holy Spirit is going to take all that is mine, and now he has it, right? And he's doing the work with all that is Jesus's. But Jesus says, well, don't get confused in terms of what my stuff is. Verse 15, all that the Father has is mine, right? So all the stuff I got, you know, I got it from the Father. All, all that the Father has is mine. So what I have is of the Father, and the Spirit is going to take my stuff, and he's going to declare it to you. And so really, the Father, Son, and Spirit have all the same stuff. All the same things, they they share one essence, one power, one glory, one truth. And whatever the Father has, the Son has. And whatever the Son has, the Spirit is going to take it and he's going to declare it. And don't miss, he's going to declare it and deliver it to us. He's going to impart it so that we can see it and understand it. The paraclete is going to come alongside. He's going to make known the Lord Jesus. And so we see this divine interrelationship in all that God is doing. And we wonder what are all the old things. And so this is a long quote, bear with me. But I love Packer. If you didn't, haven't read and you're thinking of, you know, there are a lot of books on the Holy Spirit, but one that I find very accessible. Packer is one of those guys, G.I. Packer, who, who when he writes, he's both accessible, but he's always rich and deep. He's one of the most brilliant men on the planet. So uh, he's got a little book called Keep in Step with the Spirit. If you never read it, encourage it to you. This comes from there. He says, when he's talking about all that belongs to me, he will take and make it known to you. He must have meant at least everything that is real and true about me. Jesus, as God incarnate, is the Father's agent in creation, as he does in John 1. Behold, the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. He was God, and through him all things were made. Right, Everything that is the Father's agent in creation, his, in providence, in me, all things hold together. In providence and in grace, as this world's rightful Lord and as the one who is actually master of it, whether men acknowledge me or not. You know, what does he mean by all things? He means all that is real and true about me as your divine lover, your mediator, your surety in the new covenant, your prophet, your priest, your king, your savior from the guilt and the power of sin, from the world's corruptions and the devil's clutches. All that is true about me as your shepherd, your husband and friend, and your life and your hope and your author and your finisher of your faith the Lord of your own personal history and the one who will someday bring you to be with me and to share my glory, who am thus both your path and your prize. All of this, the Holy Spirit who takes all that is his and he 
glorifies Christ by making it known to us and to our souls. First, by capturing it in the New Testament. All of that is revealed here as inspired by the Holy Spirit through the apostles to capture all of that to us. So as we read it, we become aware, knowledgeable of these things, and the Spirit is the one who opens our hearts and minds to see the truth of them and to love them and have them written on our souls and experienced in our lives takes what is mine and he brings it. Jesus says the work of the Holy Spirit is to declare and to make known and to reveal me. Packer says the Spirit makes known the personal presence in and with the Christian and the church, the risen and reigning Savior, in order that Christ may be known, that Christ may be loved and trusted and honored and praised, which is the Spirit's aim and his purpose throughout just as it is the aim and the purpose of God the Father. Right? The Holy Spirit reveals himself in the scripture. We see him here and he, we learn things about him here, but you can't help seeing that even the Holy Spirit as he reveals himself tells us his job is gonna be to glorify Christ. Right? That the main role of the Holy Spirit is to make Christ known. Look at Christ. Put your faith in Christ. Trust him, follow him, obey him, listen to him. So work of the Holy Spirit in taking what is his and bringing it to us. And Packer uses the metaphor of a spotlight in the New Testament or in his book, uh, the metaphor of a spotlight, which you know the, the role of a spotlight is, is to not make much of itself. If you have a spotlight shining on a big house, you know, nobody would put a spotlight on my house, but some houses are worthy of a spotlight, you know, and you see them, you know, they're lighted up. And the thing about it is there's, there's spotlights are pretty powerful and they, you know, there's a lot of power in them and they, they shine and they illuminate the house. The thing is when you stand there, you, you usually can't even see the spotlight. What is illuminated is the house. And he says that the Holy Spirit's work is like a spotlight ministry. He is there and he's full of power and he does much in our lives. But what he is illuminating and what is lit up for us is the glory of Jesus Christ as our Savior and our King. And who he brings close is Jesus himself to reveal Christ to our souls in all of his glory. And ultimately, as we see and unpack the New Testament, we see that he brings and connects us to all the riches that are ours in Christ. So let's just touch on a few quick applications of that in our lives and thinking about the Holy Spirit as a, as a person, the third person of the Trinity, connected to the others, but bringing Christ to us. And first is that we honor, if we haven't already caught that, we honor the Holy Spirit when we know and relate to him as our personal Lord. He too is Lord. The Lord, the Holy Spirit, who is with us. God present with us and in us. He is the Lord as much as the Father and the Son. And we cannot know and honor and rely on the Holy Spirit as the present Lord God who is with us if we dishonor and in many ways relate him by depersonalizing and in many ways relegating him in our experience into something we think we're in control of. If we harbor wrong thoughts about him, Sam Storm says, we quench the spirit whenever we diminish his personality. 
when we speak of him as if he was only an abstract power or source of energy. Some envision the spirit as if he were no more than an ethereal energy, a divine equivalent of an electric current, a socket that you can plug into and stick your fingers of faith into it and you get the anointing presence and experience a spiritual shock of biblical proportions, but he says we cannot understand this ministry of the Holy Spirit in us and with us unless we have a strong sense of his divine person, of who it is that dwells in us. You will not know and relate to him as your Lord Obey him and submit to him. Right? Follow his leading and his leadership if you do not know him and honor him as the Lord. And so in verses 14 and 15, I would simply say, it is the Spirit who brings near to us the Father and the Son. He will glorify me. He will take what is mine. He will declare it to you. And what is mine was the Father's. And so he's going to take what's the Father's and the Son's and he's going to bring it to you. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. We see it in John 14, 23. Again, two chapters ago, but same conversation Jesus is having. And he says this, if anyone loves me, he's gonna keep my word and my father's gonna love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. We, the the father and the son, are gonna come make their home with us. But then in the rest of the time, it talks about the Holy Spirit coming. Right? And so in, in the sense when the Holy Spirit comes, he mediates the presence of the Father and the Son. Right? He mediates the presence. Christ is with us in the person and presence of the Holy Spirit. They are one God with one essence and one glory and one power. And the Holy Spirit, it is his role to dwell within us and to bring the Godhead, the fullness of, the, of God and the Father, Son, and Spirit into our life and experience and the presence in fellowship with Him. And then let me finally say in the spirit of truth, verse 13, he says, when the spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth and He will glorify me. So the Spirit is the one who guided the apostles, remembering and understanding and then writing and, and, and scripturating and capturing for us all the truth that is concerned in Christ that we need to know, that we might know him and love him and be saved and walk with him and obey him, right? And so he, this is the Holy Spirit's work in the apostles. It's the Holy Spirit's work then in, in the scriptures and in, in, in capturing the scriptures for us. And then we need to understand, and I would encourage you that anytime you open your Bible then, You should never do it without thinking the Lord, the Holy Spirit, the author of the word that I am am reading dwells in me, is present with me. And his ministry is to glorify Christ as we open and read it, that he will bring these things home to us. So never read the scripture without a sense of his presence as teacher and guide. As the Lord who not only is able to convey the truth to you, the truth that is in it, to illuminate the truth of the scripture to you, 
But because he is the indwelling presence of Christ, he is able to bring the power of the truth to bear in our lives. He's able to make the truth, the power of the truth, have the proper impact on our souls and our minds that it should have. He has the, the ability to actually change and transform us by the word that we read and, and spend time in. That actually what we have as he brings the, the whole Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to us by his own presence, illuminating his word and, and, and what he gives us in, in the scriptures, an encounter with God. I encourage you, never read the Bible as something where you have a, a box to check for the day. You know, when you open the Bible, God's intention is to reveal himself to you in the power of the Spirit, to encounter you, to convict you, to encourage you, to teach you, to enlighten you, to transform you, and that our time in the Scripture is meant to be an encounter with a living God whose presence dwells in us and who is the guide and teacher of all truth. A.W. Pink says, until the Holy Spirit is again given in his rightful place in our hearts, in our thoughts, in our activities, there can be no improvement. Until the Holy Spirit is honored and sought and counted upon as you open the word and try to live that life, the present spiritual drought must continue. Let us give the Lord, the Holy Spirit, the rightful place in our lives, in our hearts. That the drought may end. And his power be manifest. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you for your great love for us. That you did not leave us as we were, but you sent your only son to bear our sins in his own body on the cross. But then you did not leave us as we were, but you sent your Holy Spirit to cause us to be born again and to live. To bring life and to dwell and to be God with us. To bring all that is yours and manifest it to our souls. Awaken us to your presence and your lordship that we may follow your leading. We ask and pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.